Welcome to the ArcDocs podcast. This podcast features discussions from leading industry professionals regarding building information modeling and digital construction. If you enjoy this podcast, or if you would like us to feature a specific topic, please let us know in the comments section of our social media platforms. You can also check out our website at www.arcdocs.com for more information. Hello and welcome back to the ArcDocs podcast. This is episode number four. Uh, I'm Ryan Ford. I'm Pat Slattery, director with ArcDocs, and we're joined today by William Power. Uh, my name is William Power. I'm uh, an associate director at CW O'Brien Architects. Thanks very much for coming on. We have a few questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, kind of the first question that we may have is, um, like, how did you get in? What's your What's your background, first of all, and how? Where, where do we go back to? Um, I suppose my, my, my earliest work was when I was in secondary school. I worked with my dad. He was, um, uh, at the time, it would have been steel, steel erecting and cladding. So it was kind of all industrial work. Um, so that was from the early age of probably 11 or 12 when I was getting dragged out or going with him. So I spent a, a, a lot of time working with him up until I left college. So I did summers and everything with him. Um, and I suppose it, it stood to me in college because I had a, a very good understanding of how things went together. Um, I think it's, it's very important, I suppose, in our industry. And there's probably a lack of it is, is knowing how to build things themselves. I went to college in uh, Waterford Institute of Technology, uh, qualified from there with a, a diploma in architectural technology. Um, went from there then my first job was in the national what was the national development agency over in Dartry so I spent six months there but I suppose couldn't hack the Dublin life being a country boy Uh, so I went from there then to um, Reddy's in Kilkenny uh, where I spent 10 11 years until um, everything went pear-shaped uh, and then I suppose I spent a bit of time, went back working for my dad then. Um, he, he had picked up a bit of business, luckily enough, in the downturn. Um, and went, and then after that, back into Reddy's in Dublin, where I suppose that's where I came into the BIM sphere, if you want to say. Um, mainly introduced to it through Revit, and then I suppose grabbing up the bull by the horns and uh, jumping straight into it. Uh, and then more recently, after joining, I suppose, C.W. O'Brien Architects in there, um, trying to, um, I suppose, drive technology and di- digital forward. And, and what percentage of your projects now would be done through BIM? Is it all of them? Or? Well, they, they, they all have some aspects of BIM, I suppose. Um, mm. the, the Doing full BIM Level 2, I think even... If, if we're all honest, there's yeah. very few projects that are full BIM level two, but we, we, we use, the, the, the vast majority of our projects are done using Revit. Um, we have a couple of historic ones there that are for 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 the need of it, I suppose, is, are done using CAD, but the starting point for all new projects is Revit in terms of delivery. Um, and then I suppose we, we, we add in as we go in terms of what's required um, client side. And you're seeing much movement on the client side in terms of the numbers who are requesting BIM or, or mandating BIM on projects? I suppose not particularly mandating, apart from the public. Private guys tend to want the project delivered, so they come in, they may have heard of it, they're probably introduced to it. 
So we, we, we try, for, for those that aren't aware, we, we kind of explain the way we work. We, we try to drive, I suppose, it into where we see the, the efficiencies being in, in the delivery using digital, I suppose. Um, it, it, it's us kind of driving it on the most part. Um, uh, well, there's, obviously, sharing. there's obviously efficiencies for project overall if everybody uses BIM properly, but I think the first thing you have to do is find the, the efficiencies for yourself. Yeah. Otherwise you're not going to invest or make the change unless you can see how it's going to work for your own organisation. No, yeah, and it's getting over that hump as well when you're actually inefficient. Because you obviously get inefficient for a while before you get more efficient. Um, so it, it's hard sometimes because you're expecting something from someone in X amount of time, whereas initially it's going to take them a bit longer. But I think given, um, I suppose, in recent years, there's a lot more graduates and stuff coming in that are already experienced. I think it's harder to sometimes harder to find people to work in CAD now than it is to, to work in 3D and um, it, it's, a, it's an interesting change to four or five years ago where it was still the reverse. It's interesting what you said there about the experience you had before going to college working on, on sites and on construction because I think that's hugely valuable and I think one of the things we do have some fantastic graduates coming out of college but it does take them quite a while before they understand how buildings go together properly and to get on site yeah. and see how the construction of those buildings works especially when you're working in a BIM environment where you're working with objects and you're working with connections between objects as opposed to drawings and 2D lines it's really important that people do have that understanding of construction and understand how things go together yeah. properly on site I, I think it was um, it, it, it was a massive change coming from CAD because you were isolated I suppose like you were working on things in isolation so someone worked on that plan um, while someone might be working on the plan above them so uh, there, there was always uh, discrepancies through that like or someone working on a detail and then it's not feeding back whereas I suppose with modelling modeling it, it really is virtual building so you have to think like you're building um, and so like I've had this thought in my head for years and I, I, I don't know but I, I think I think in the first year or even before college, I think, not forced, but people should be encouraged to go work on sites and actually get their, their hands dirty, so to speak. I know I, I have a couple of friends um, that went through um, kind of social care courses. Um, and I know most of those, before you go, you have to do a year's work experience beforehand yeah. to make sure that you're... Make sure it's for you. Yeah, so I don't see why we're not doing it in other industries. It would be um, hugely valuable. I'm not sure how it would work from the uh, the institutions, you know, um, courses. But uh, you could you could embed into work hugely experience valuable. or yeah. something like that. That's well, one it's, it's only recently that I suppose we, we we've graduates at the moment from DIT or mm -hmm. not graduates, but uh, people currently doing the the art tech course over there. Mm -hmm. Um, so like they, they, they only started doing that recent enough so it's a, it is something that's there so okay. uh, I, I may, even if it's a, a summer placement you know like it's, it's probably it's definitely worth doing it I think when I was in I graduated in uh, IT Cargo a few years back and I did the architecture technology course down there I'm just going back to the transition between like CAD and Revit and what Carlo were doing in that course is in first year it's four year course but in first year you use CAD and then from second year, third year, and fourth year, 
it's not so much that it's been, but they're they're using Revit as their offering tool, as their design tool, you know. So you're getting that bit of experience before you go into practice. Yeah, um, yeah. which which is very good. It's it. I, I never let tell me what to do in work. I suppose I remember. I suppose to speak for myself here, but when when, when I started in college, when was that? Ninety seven. It seems so short a time ago. Um, but there was three computers in Waterford in in the in the architectural technology department at that stage, and they were. It was it was fairly clearly stated that they were for the third years doing their projects. Uh, I had a. Um, I suppose a new friend in there that recently done the CAD course, uh, like he was explaining it to me, and I was going, okay. it just seemed nuts to me to be using pencils and hand drawing. So I, I went off and um, bought a buy and sell and found uh, a, I think it was an old gateway computer for 50 quid, <laughs> 50 pounds back in the day. Um, and that, that was the first thing I bought. And um, yeah, I suppose um, got my version of AutoCAD and stuck it on it and that's what I did I, I did the first project down there by hand and after that I just refused to do them yeah. um, there was a, a bit of resistance but in, in, in general it was um, it didn't see, it didn't seem to affect my marks as well so it's good but um, mm. yeah. I don't know what you think but I mean the shift from drawing boards to CAD sort of did take a while to sort yeah. of permeate right through the industry and I think that was even uh, an easier change than moving from CAD to BIM because from drawing boards to CAD you're still dealing with lines and circles and arcs and those yeah. things whereas with, building, with BIM you're dealing with walls and doors and, and floors and then working in three dimensions Yeah. so I think it's, it's, a, I think it's a bigger change I suppose back, back in the days when, when people were hand drawing they, they were very careful about what they did so there, there was no desire to have to redraw a drawing that might take all day or even a week to, to complete. So, um, and it, it took so long to do it that everything was efficient. Like drawing lists were as tight as they could get. Um, there, there was no um, over provision, I suppose. Whereas when went to CAD, it became so easy that what was a hundred drawings for a project became a thousand drawings, because yeah. um, it was so easy to throw them out. Um, Whereas I, I think as part of um, this change, I, I think it's kind of flipping back to that mentality as well, where, where you're, you're, you're trying to think about, okay, what's the most efficient? I think it's, a lot of it has to do with efficiency, so it's thinking along those lines as it's well. It's also an appropriate level of detail for what's required from a particular drawing. I mean, yeah. People have got used to in CAD being able to take a general arrangement drawing and yeah. zoom into the window frame and see every... A little bit of aluminium that makes up the window frame, which is nonsense. There's massive dangers because uh, yeah. we've seen it on projects where we've, um, where we, when we started, when I was involved and started using Revit, and um, because it's so nice at joining walls and doing stuff like that, um, instances where guys actually filleted plasterboards the same way that they were happened to join because no one, no one was giving it that much attention. Whereas mm. in firewalls, like that stopping of a plasterboard can be well, obviously critical. Critical, to it. absolutely. Um, so it's interesting. So, like, I, I'm a big fan of uh, detail where it's appropriate. Like, so having having layers of plasterboard on a one to two hundred plan just doesn't make sense to me. Um, it doesn't. You do your call out details, and you put an appropriate level of detail in the call out details. Yeah, that's the only place it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be a. Um, a bit of a desire to get 
everything for the building onto one sheet to make it handier for the guys yeah. to, to, to build it but um, yeah. I suppose there is there, there's there's too little and then there's too much and it's just finding that happy medium I suppose where yeah. it's getting people enough. to think of that when they're doing BIM modelling as well is that you know make sure that they are only modelling an appropriate level of detail for the stage you're at yeah. people don't get caught up in putting too much detail into the model yeah. um, just what's needed as a architects, I suppose uh, we're kind of struggling to let go of the the visual aspect of it. The, the 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 chair I'm sitting on, realistically, it's a box with box with a, a size and a position. Uh, but we tend to want to see it looking like the chair when we look at it. Um, I think if we, if we if we got a drawing that was just a heap of boxes with 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 tags on them to tell you what they were, I think. It, it would probably be difficult to, to interact with them. Um, well, I think when you're doing space planning, I mean, it can be just boxes that you're moving around the place and it makes it very simple and easy mm-hmm. to do. Well, there's no reason you can't just swap that out for something more detailed yeah. um, when you need to do a presentation, you know, when you need to get the drawings out. There's a couple of things there to, um, that are kind of coming, you know, AR, VR, these, like the augment, augmented stuff where you, where you can see both. Mm. I think they're, they're kind of exciting because I think they, they'll bring they'll bring this kind of full circle I think because I suppose once the accuracy gets um, tight enough that you, that you can actually walk into a room and instead of having to look at a drawing you can have a headset and you can see where the chair is supposed to go so you can actually put it down where it is I think I, I've seen some stuff where, where guys are setting out um, studs with, with the hollow lens yeah. and it, yeah. it, looks, it looks very very good, yeah. So it's, um, and that's another step in the point you were making earlier of getting away from drawings yes. and dimension drawings. Yeah. I mean, if you can bring a model directly into your HoloLens or your helmet, you can uh, avoid drawings completely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be tested. I think, obviously, one of the biggest drivers for drawings is that record of what, I think, mostly of, of what was issued um, or happened or for, for the future, I suppose, really, isn't it? In case something goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, we're nowhere near a point at where drawings are not going to be required. I think that's at least 10 years, if not a lot longer, before we get yeah. away from that, I'd say. I think if, if, if we could move away from paper first, then yeah. not having to print all these things to Absolutely. submit them somewhere, um, it's well, gas, the amount of paper that you have to... Well, also, have to ha- also having good conversations between everybody who's involved in the project to ask... You know what drawings do you need, as opposed to these are the drawings I'm going to give you. Yeah. Um, so you actually produce appropriate set of drawings that the person finds useful. Yes. As opposed to giving them a set of plans, elevations, and sections because that's what you've always done. Yeah. Mm. William, just going back to your the company now that you're working for, like what are the main softwares then that you would use typically on a day-to-day basis, or your team that would they use? I suppose, um, we we use a lot of. Revit, obviously. Um, CAD is still there, um, still doing its thing. It'll never go. It's it's, um, it's like a pencil, I suppose. We'll always have need for it in some shape or form. We we would use a lot of um, uh, Loom, Lumine. We do, we do quite a, a, a good bit of, I suppose, animation work in terms of trying to get get our proposals across. Um, and then we're, I suppose the, the nature of the industry we're in we're very graphics oriented so Photoshop InDesign mm. come into play there 
and then I, I suppose the, the biggest one I would use on a day-to-day basis is probably Outlook. <laughs> Back to basics. But having said that, we've moved recently into we've, we've our own kind of common data environment, for want of a better word, so it's a project management system. Mm-hmm. So we're now putting all our documents in there and using that to... Um, manage everything so it kind of brings everything back into one space uh, project finance and stuff like that so um, it's good and we, we, we use um, teams of a bit as well to communicate yeah it's, it's, it's yeah, we find it very good and we start bringing in planner and stuff like this and I was a great fan at one stage I think I had six screens on my on my phone for apps I was downloading Slack and Trello and all these things and was a great guy for trying it but what always frustrated me was they were all in different places. Yeah. So the likes of uh, I, I'm loving Teams at the moment because it's bringing all of those things back together. Yeah. Um, I, I I think having stuff in one place is 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 good. Having one way in, it is about connecting up different applications because yes. different yeah. applications are good at what they do. Yeah. But it's the ability to connect those together and to uh, access yeah. them through yeah. a single point. I, I think that's what started happening with Revit and stuff now as well. Like it's all yeah. those things coming into it. Um, like obviously Dynamo was there um, for a while um, it's, a, it's a very powerful tool I suppose but it has its um, um, uses I suppose it's getting people up to speed on it uh, probably there's probably a lot of stuff you, you do on a daily basis that you could probably start to automate with it and stuff like that so it's um, so it's um, interesting times I think you do have to spend a little bit of time working out scripts and working out better ways of doing things and I think You've somehow got to justify that time um, yeah. that you spend for the efficiencies you'll gain by using the, the script, you know, a hundred times to save you, you know, ten minutes, twenty minutes, whatever every well, time you use it. There's there's mm-hmm. powerful ones like obviously mm-hmm. the the contractor rings you up and wants all the, the door numbers renumbered mm-hmm. in his fashion. That those sort of ones like obviously save massive amount of time. Mm-hmm. We we've used I suppose scripts to pull and push sheets in and out of Revit which is very good as well and then also just to pull information out for um, room data sheets and stuff like that and kind of the text based stuff so I was a big fan of trying to get everything in there so it's easy to manage it when it's in one place Um, and then just trying to get it out and one of the big things in battle at the moment is that change from there's lots of talk around the, the industry standards the ISOs and the BSs and stuff like that but even, I suppose, getting people to move away from... For years, people would have uh, templates for doing room data sheets, whereas it probably makes sense to change those slightly to fit in with the new and quicker way instead of trying to take it out and then have, having to reformat it. There's probably a slightly different configuration that would work. And so even get, getting people to change, change that sort of attitude can be difficult at times. People spend an awful lot of time in Revit trying to make it look like CAD which is fine, you can do that, but uh, you'd question the, the reason behind it. Yeah, um, it tends to get very heavy yeah. file size as well, um, d- difficult to, to manage. Something that you thought was manageable at yeah. 50, 60 megabytes, all of a sudden it's hitting a gigabyte and you're mm. trying to figure out what to do. I think one, one of the biggest lessons I've le- learned over the last few years is the, the, the volume control, like actually breaking it down. I think there's a, there's a tendency to... Um, go in and hope for the best in terms of like we'll start now and we'll break it down later but yeah. it gets very difficult after you've annotated a thousand sheets and you're looking to break it down because I suppose we, we, we've all had those um, it's a lot of additional work uh, opening, yeah. the, opening the model and getting we need to delete yeah. 10,000 dimensions 
screaming man inside your head. Kind mm-hmm. of that's, yeah. In terms of um, the project you're working on, the information management role, I mean, is that something that you take on personally? Is this a sort of project information manager? I haven't had to do it in the last six or seven months, but I suppose where I was previously, yeah, I was doing a good bit of it, trying trying to take it on. I think, I think as architects, we we tend to be at the front of teams, so I think that there's a there's probably more of an onus on us to get in and drive these things. And in all fairness to most clients, probably don't aren't fully up to speed, um, nor do they want to be. They probably want to get the expertise and yeah well I think as a lead designer on projects like you say you're the best place to, to take yeah. on that role certainly during the design stage yes to make the contractor yeah. can take it on so it sounds driving that true and um, I think it's um there's a little bit of explaining there just to to make sure clients understand that there might be some hurdles to overcome at some stage um, but I think as long as you're upfront and clear on it um, and honest about it, I think that tends to be they tend to accept the fact that yeah there might be a bit of pain or a little bit more time in the middle of it just to try and get a result. And it's thought about early enough; it can usually be worked through. But it's something I think every architect needs to be thinking about. You know, it's their role on projects in terms of information management. It's not just about producing the architectural information; it's also a role of managing all of the information that other disciplines are producing as well. And making sure that it's been developed and managed in the right way. I think it's one of my pet hates at the moment is um, we want the models, but we want all of the drawings at, at every stage and ten times in between stages as well. Um, it's a lot of work to annotate a drawing and um, takes a lot of time. So those efficiencies that you're hoping for out of using these new technologies doesn't doesn't materialise because you have to put three guys in there annotating the planning drawings to get them ready to go in do a tender and construction. I think that the, the big savings have to be where we actually stop doing that and take an object that is in a model and trust that the, that, that the information that we've worked so hard to get in there is is accurate and will suffice to set out what, what we're looking at. Um, I think until, until we get there, we're still going to be in a lot of pain for a while because... It just, I think, most most of the setbacks I've encountered is exactly that. You know, is losing the dimensions or losing all your tags and having to redo it, or even the fact of just putting them in there to start with. And um, like a, a building that's ten stories, that's in any way chunky, can can, can take a long time to dimension and annotation and that should only happen at the end I mean all of the design development and the coordination and the exchange of information should be happening through the model yes and yes we still need drawings but that should really be at the end of a stage when when all of the decisions have been made pretty much and we're not going to quite get all the decisions made but when most of the decisions are made you you then push out a set of drawings and you're fairly confident that it's not going to change too much um, it's kind of, kind of frightening in a way, though, that um, given given that um, I suppose that there's a vast amount of people in the industry that can't read 3D drawings but still insist on receiving them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if it, I suppose once once I think once once they do start to get in and experience and interact with three dimensional information, I think it'll um, it should change then hopefully. I think it works. I see it work a lot when people have 
easy access to the model. I mean, people yeah. think that they've got to uh, invest heavily in order yeah. to be able to interact with the model, but there's, you know, the model can be shared online, yeah. it can be shared through free tools. Um, and I think once you start doing that and people have you know, free or easy access to the information in the models, they soon begin to, uh, to get it. I think, I think um, the, the, the free and easy access is, I suppose, the scary thing for a lot at the moment because it's, it's that, oh, we're, we're, we're they, they, if we do something wrong, they can spot it straight away. Or, you know, there's, no, there's no hiding, I suppose, mm-hmm. once you start to do that. Um, so your, your QA procedures become vital in terms of the checking before it goes out. Um, there's also times, I suppose, where where um, you're looking at a change, so like it's going to take you three weeks to bottom out on what, what it is, and I suppose in that period you're not going to want to be live sharing it either because it'll just confuse. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, there definitely is. I suppose it's figuring out what that is, the push and pull. And control it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it comes down to people understanding the status of a model at any particular stage. You know, that if a model is issued for comment or it's issued for review, that it's not 100% coordinated, it's not 100% complete. And I think people need to have an understanding of what, how complete and how, you know, what the purpose of the model is at any particular stage. Are we um, fans of Kobe here? Not necessarily fans of Kobe, but uh, yeah. certainly Kobe is a requirement on most projects. You know, yeah. It's a requirement of the standards. You know, I don't think I've ever delivered it. Um, I think it's one, one of the ones to get lost and I, I think even talking to people the experience tends to be that once it is handed over it's never used anyway so it's kind of what, what, what are you doing? I think people but, get it in principle they understand yeah. that having you know structured good quality you know digital handover information that they can use for FM you know is a great idea um, but I think the point is that you make is, is, is exactly it and what we find is that the clients or the end users are are not quite ready to yeah. receive that information yet and they don't know what to do with it. But even, even if they it. are, it always struck me as um, as an in-between. I know there's, um, there's been a lot of development around it, but to me, having to go from a model in Excel to go back into something else, it just, it just seems, it sits wrong, I suppose. Um, so it's, um, I suppose I have a bit of hesitation there in terms of, I see it as an interim and at some stage everything will start to link up hopefully. Yeah, what you do need is a, you know, a, a standard coded structure yeah. for information um, and a standard sort of list of parameters or information which you require about things that go into the building. Um, how you get that information from the model to a facilities management system, um, whether it can be just a direct exchange, whether it's a live exchange, there's many different ways you can do that, but I do agree. You know that the whole Excel thing in between confuses people to some extent. They look at the Kobe Excel spreadsheet, and it's just columns and columns and rows and rows of stuff that doesn't really mean an awful lot to them. Um, so it does have to be brought into something yeah. else to make it usable. Because um, even even if you do, like I suppose, it, unless it's hoovered in straight away, it's little good because like it, even four months, six months is a long time in the life of a building so like, there, there has to be I, I can imagine conversations going do we take it in but like we take it in we're going to have to audit it because stuff has to change in there so we have to go through all of this anyway whereas 
don't know if there's if there was um if there was a way of interacting with the model so that they can keep I suppose it, it's making it easy and um, it's where it needs to get to so that pe people can interact I think once it gets easier then hopefully people will start start to interact with it yeah, there's yeah. A, that's another whole area of um, you know it's, it's great we're, we're good at producing information for handover we generally produce you know, reasonable quality not necessarily all as built but reasonable quality information to hand over the, the owners of the building or the operators of the buildings have to understand that as well as maintaining the physical asset they also have to maintain the digital asset, they have to maintain the model, they have to maintain the information that goes along with it to keep it alive and to keep it useful. Yeah. You know? yeah. Otherwise, like you say, it just goes on a shelf and gets forgotten about five years later. You know, it's completely out of date. You can see all the new career mm -hmm. names there coming. It's either an opportunity or a challenge, depending on which way you look at it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There is massive opportunity there, I think, at the moment. It's just yeah. finding it. Well, we've all seen the figures. You know, most of the cost of buildings are post-construction, you know, in the 30, 40, 50 years that the building is going to be operated. And if we can improve how that part of the building's life cycle, we can save a lot of money for the clients. Yeah. But only if we do it right during construction and during design. We'll, we'll wrap it up here, guys. Um, William, thanks very much for coming in and joining us. And uh, that was yeah, very thank you very much. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me.